This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 471. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. Up on this episode we are continuing our countdown of my top 10 favourite horror movies with the caveat that as of the 31st of August when number one on my list drops coinciding with the 10 year anniversary of the podcast under the stairs we will be uh, potentially changing that list right after that date because I like many horror fans find it incredibly hard to stick to a top 10 list of anything to be honest with you but favourite horror movies that sounds like the least fun job ever and once again I want to thank everyone on the Facebook group page who's put me in this impossible position Swinging into the number 7 position on this one is one that I imagine some people would expect to be a little bit higher and we will get to it later on in the series when I explain position and the term favourite and best and all the grey that sits in between. Now the reason I kind of I'm leaning into that word favourite is that this list is purely personal choices, whereas I think arguing the best horror movies is something where I can start bringing in integers of this is what this movie does really well, this is why this movie is the best. When you're talking about favourites, it's based more on a feeling than anything else. Very seldom does anyone have a favourite horror movie that makes them feel miserable or terrible or despondent, or glum, or any other words in the thesaurus that mean the same thing, which is like shit. Um, very seldom does that happen, and as a result of that, it's like the way with people like that, yeah, you know what my favourite horror movie is? Serbian film. And you're like, your favourite? <laughs> Question mark? It seems like an odd choice for favourite, unless everything in that movie just makes you happy. And then once again, Feels like an odd choice. So favourite to me is all about a feeling. Has to has to give me, has to capture something that makes me enthralled, engaged, and at the end of it, kind of feeling like energised. Which this movie at number seven duly does. So yeah, we'll explain it as we go through the list further, closer towards the, the top half, let's put it that way. Now, joining me on this review, as has been all the reviews thus far, is my trusty iPad. It's here so I can read the IMDb's without looking at a computer screen like the one at the side of me. Uh, on top of that as well it allows me the opportunity to at some point put it down and not have it in my hands anymore and hopefully do all this video in one take. Thus far all the videos thus far have been one singular take which makes me very happy. Less editing, happier Duncan. 
So let's do this, shall we? One of my favourite horror directors, if not my favourite horror director of all time, is one Mr. Dario Argento, the man that was called the modern Hitchcock, the man who's been called the godfather of gore, although that has been flung at so many directors, it is completely confusing. He's been called the maestro, but then again, so was Mario Bava, who was technically his maestro, so... Yeah, I don't know, do you get maestro status from a maestro when the maestro is no longer there? Who knows? He is known as the forefather of Giallo, although Mario Bava has the same accolade. So let's go one step further in defining that title. He is the man who encapsulates what we as an audience now know and recognise as Giallo. See, that isn't as fun as the father of Jallo or inventor of Jallo. He's none of those things, but he is one incredible director. And in 1982, he returned to the genre after a small stint away doing what some people call Jallos, and that's just not correct. Uh, a couple of supernatural one-two gut punches in a little movie called Suspiria, and then he followed that up with a little movie called Inferno, and he then decided, you know what, I'm going to make another Jallo movie. And then he returned with number seven on my list from Slimy. I've read all your books, Mr. Neal. The book deals with a murder committed with an old-fashioned open razor, right? This girl, too, was killed with a razor, and your book's pages stuffed into her mouth. Can I ask you something? If someone is killed with a Smith & Wesson revolver, do you go and interview the president of Smith & Wesson? Peter, Peter, you can't let me down now. We're within two days of making a deal. Please, stay just until Friday. My life is in danger. There's no deal in the world worth risking my life for. Not anxiety or fear, but freedom. You wrote those words, page 46. Freedom to strike again, Peter. Listen, don't hang up. We have to talk. You told me how, Peter Neal. You and me together. We've just begun. <laughs> I'd never written that book. You don't mean that. I've made charts. I've tried building a plot the same way you have. I've tried to figure it out, but... I just have this hunch that something is missing. 
tiny piece of jigsaw. Somebody who should be dead is alive, or somebody who should be alive is already dead. Explain that. You know, there's a sentence in a Conan Doyle book. When you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. And welcome back. So, Tenebrae, 1982, directed by Dario Argento. The story for this one, also by Dario Argento. The movie itself stars names that I'm going to struggle with. This is the problem. Every time we pick a foreign movie, which, if you're me and you love foreign movies, means that you are constantly sadomasochistically putting yourself in a position that you know you're going to get tongue-tied. Um, we've got Anthony Fran Francioa, maybe, uh, Giuliana Gemma, John Saxon, Daria Nicolodi, Christian Bomero, Morella D'Angelo, Veronica Liario, and uh, Eva Robbins, John Steiner, some other folks in here. Synopsis for this one, as listed on the IMDb's, thank God we got through that, is an American writer in Rome is stalked and harassed by a serial killer who is murdering everyone associated with his work on his latest book. Putting the iPad down. So, Tenebrae is my favourite Dario Argento movie. I don't think it's his best, but it is my favourite. And the reason it's my favourite is I think Tenebrae was... Maybe the first Argento movie I saw as an adult. So I'd already seen Suspiria before in my kind of mid to kind of later teens, but not by UK standards, the definition of being an adult. I hadn't turned 18 yet. And I started working in a video store, which was my first proper, proper job. And as anyone that's been listening to the over 1200 episodes of podcast under this days, they'll know that the majority of my film interest and knowledge came out of those two and a half years working in a video store. I, by that point, already had pretty bad insomnia and what I would regularly do is I would take five films home with me, I'd watch those five films, I'd bring them back, exchange them for another five movies and rinse and repeat that process over and over again. This is also about the same point that I was aware that the video store that I worked in had a particularly interesting European horror section. It was full of kind of very cheap to rent, even though I got them for free because I worked in the shop, but cheap to rent um, singular copies of movies I had never heard of before but had the most badass cover artwork that I'd ever seen. And a lot of them were from people like Sergio Martino, Lucio Fulci, um, Dario Argento, Mario Bava, uh, Lamberto Bava. Um, it was in that range of, of directors, like a Mikel Suave. Um, they were all there. 
and all kind of eager to be picked up and watched. And very early on in that process, a movie title that I picked up was Tenebrae, purely because the front cover had what appeared to be a woman's head kind of tilted backwards um, with her throat slit against a black background and just in bold, bold yellow writing, Tenebrae, which I didn't even know how to pronounce that at the time. It was like Tenebra? Tenebra? Don't know. Could not work out for the life of me. So um, I took it home, watched it. I was already, and you know this as well, a huge horror fan. More, back then, weirdly more into slashers than anything else. And we had not long at that point started the rebirth of the old slasher. So I had been to see movies like Scream. Uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer was starting to, that trend was starting to kind of build up. And here's me picking this movie that is like what like 15 years older than than scream 16 years older than i know what you did last summer by this italian director whose name i couldn't really equate to suspiria because i knew the film suspiria i'd seen it before but didn't know the director and i remember putting it in and watching it and just being like mind fucked for like an hour and 45 minutes like i thought this was absolutely insane like just next level insanity uh, the dubbing was terrible John Saxon was in it inexplicably for no reason at all and it had like a kind of POV black glove killer going around killing people who he felt had essentially were, were essentially uh, practitioners of perversions on society and linked this back to this book Tenebrae that this guy Peter Neal had written and he was our kind of main protagonist of the movie and we're going to swing back to that because anyone that knows and you've all that you've been there you've listened to it we did a mini Jallo episode of Baz does Jallo where I got my friend Baz who has a long running I always have to feel like I have to justify these segments to anyone that's accidentally stumbling into this as their first episode of podcast under the stairs uh, Baz was a 40 year old who had never watched any horror movies at all and for the best part of five years I terrorised them with horror picks to see if they would scare him or not and then ultimately that morphed into me picking movies that I felt would round out his love of horror and his horror knowledge and we did a whole episode on Jallo and Tenebrae was one of the titles I picked because it's one of my favourite horror movies. You see where the pattern's going? This is why this title should not be a surprise on my top 10. Um, and what I realised from his review of this is he completely misunderstood the movie and there was a break in the middle which he didn't understand or didn't make the jump or maybe the movie didn't explain it very well. That is also a possibility. And as a result of that, the movie did not make a lick of sense to him. I would argue that Tenebrae, out of all Argento's uh, Jallos, is the one that's the, it's the one that makes the most sense. It's the one that feels most Agatha Christie. Um, if you look at Bird with a Crystal Plumage, um, you know that you can probably work out who the killer is there. But there is still a relative. Well, let's try and run this back to see if this actually makes sense. Cat and Nine Tails doesn't even have that. Cat and Nine Tails does kind of feel like we've just, uh, and you are the killer. Reveal him like it's a Scooby-Doo movie. 
Um, and even even something like Deep Red, it's the left field in Deep Red. It does make sense when it's parsed out, but does make sense. Um, I feel that Tenebrae is the one that is kind of most like focused in on, oh right, look, there was one thing, this thing happened, and then there was another thing, but actually the joins and the justification for said actions make sense within the confines of the movie. Argento himself um, found himself under pretty much regular attack in media because his movies focused on pretty nasty deaths happening to pretty attractive women. And as a result, the, the kind of term masochistic, uh, chauvinistic, like these, these terms were kind of flung against him, which is kind of on some level kind of ironic when you think about it. Argento himself never really did anything that a lot of other directors weren't doing. It's just his were very, very, very successful. And you never heard the same accusations being flung against uh, Lucio Fulci to the same degree and fervour as they were against Argento. And in a lot of respects, the Peter Neal character in this movie is like a, a kind of is Argento exercising a bit of his thoughts on, you know, I'm writing violent movies, yes, but do I believe these things? No, because they're movies, and movies are for entertainment and not to be taken seriously. So there's a bit of that in here. Essentially what you're following is a character called Peter Neal. He's written a book called Tenebrae. He's a great crime writer. He's outdoing his world tour. His first stop on his world tour is going to be Italy. And before he arrives, a girl who has tried to steal the book from a shop has been hunted down and murdered by a killer in a fashion similar to that mentioned in the book, with pages of said book stuffed in her mouth just, like, hours before Peter Neal arrives. Um, what then follows is Peter Neal being dragged into... An investigation, these are all classic Jallo tropes, uh, along with the police to try and solve the mystery of who the killer is, as more people die in spectacularly gruesome fashions as only Dario Argento can give you. Meanwhile, there is a kind of subplot about uh, Peter Neal's ex-girlfriend Jane who is stalking him and harassing him and may have followed him to Italy, so maybe behind these deaths as well. There is a subplot with John Saxon and his fascination with a fedora hat, which I was going to say when in Rome, but that is actually applicable here, when in Rome. Um, and then you have his kind of love connection with Dario Nicolodi, who does not die in this movie, which is credit to Argento that he doesn't do something absolutely horrific to his I think at this point soon to be ex-partner um, so that's good and uh, yeah you have various other kind of subplots going on in the movie the reason it confused Baz and the reason it might confuse other people although I don't know if you watch this movie to me it's fairly set in stone is the killer is revealed in this movie and when the killer is revealed in the movie, um, not long after they are killed themselves, and then, and we will spoil this title, there's no getting around that, you've heard the introduction, that's what we do on this show, and if you've got this far into it, and 
haven't hit stop to go away and watch it, then this is on your head, not on mine. But essentially the killer is revealed to be, the second killer is revealed to be um, Peter Neal. And what he's done is he's found out who the killer is because he's a great crime writer and a keen intellect when it comes to solving crime. He's taken out the killer and then used the opportunity of confusion to continue killing in a similar style his ex-Jane who is having an affair with John Saxon, his agent, uh, Fedora and all, um, and would have got away with it too if it hadn't been for his pesky assistant, Daria Nicolodi, and her meddling cop friend. So, to me, there's a clear... I mean, it's explained at the end of the movie. So once again, Baz, I don't know if you watched this or even listened to this. If that is the case, I genuinely don't know how you you don't understand how that works. To me, it feels relatively self-evident. Um, but it has one of my favourite ends to an Argento movie. Actually, one of my favourite endings to a horror movie of all time because you get a great set piece in an apartment with Jane's arm being sliced off and an almost a kind of Kill Bill-esque scene, this this severed stump arm spraying arterial blood across a white wall, um, only for her to be butchered, a cop to come in and find Peter Neal, you know, try and take him in, but he uses a switchblade or, well, more like a barber, I don't know what they call them. I call them switchblades, but they're not. They're like flip blades. They're not even flip blades. They're like proper... Those blades. Someone will write them in the comments. Uh, the ones he used for shaving. And he cuts his throat and dies. Case closed. Book him, Dano. Everything's okay. Except when the cop and Daria Nicolodi are out in the car, they realise that maybe they've forgotten one detail. So Copper goes back in, the body has vanished, he finds out that the knife is actually a fake knife, it's a cosmetic one, when you press a button, fake blood comes out of it, and you have this great scene in the camera, this is why I love Argento, you've got like thunder cracks, you've got the lightning, and you have a rain-swept police officer with incredible lightning on him, standing facing the camera, and as he bends over, to pick up the there's a like a tissue with Peter Neal's um, initials on it. As he bends down in perfect form behind him, you see Peter Neal's character right there, right behind him. And as he comes up, he gets attacked with an axe in the back. Um, as he's been attacked, he accidentally knocks over. I'm going to just say a murder weapon in itself. It's a large, giant, st steel, kind of weird, artistic sculpture. Like, only some asshole in the 80s would have owned. And it blocks the door. Uh, Diana Clody comes up to find out what's happening. As she's shoving the door, she opens it violently. And one of the spikes on the, the sculpture penetrates Peter Neal's stomach. Uh, killing him in the process. And the movie, and the fucking balls on Argento, the movie finishes with uh, Nickelodeon screaming her throat raw as it fades to black and then you get the bitchin' soundtrack, which is the next reason to talk about Tenebrae. Um, Argento at this point had already worked with Goblin previously on his previous two movies. So he'd worked with them, if we remove Inferno, which had... Um, uh, Keith Emerson, who did the majority of the score for that one. If you jump back to Deep Red being his first collaboration with Italian prog metalers um, Goblin, and then that carried through into Suspiria, 
one of my favourite movie scores of all time. Um, she had a great working relationship with the band, but at this point the band were on kind of shaky ground and Claudio Simonetti himself, the one of the chief songwriters, keyboardist dude, great guy because he's obviously a keyboardist and very much like myself, um, he'd kind of spun off and started doing his own stuff on the side. I would imagine popularity and fame kind of getting to them because once Goblin worked on Deep Red, they started scoring a ton of movies. Like loads and loads and loads that were very much in demand. So Simonetti does this kind of over-the-top, disco-y, synthy, vocoder or tenebrae soundtrack, which is absolutely bitching. And it, it works so well paired with this movie. Most Goblin scores pair really well with the movies they're written for. But in this one, this is one of those ones similar to Suspiria where I think the sync between songwriter from a, not like a composer but actual songwriter and and film just gels so well. I think the best indication of that one, it's the scene that's probably most talked about when people actually discuss Tenebrae is the, the death of the two lesbians in their house where Argento synced to the song, the main theme of Tenebrae uses a one-shot tracking shot on a crane where the camera moves out of the building, tracks right round following the entry point of a killer, and as it's moving around we get all these different beats, killer comes in through the window, we can see him coming through this window, and this camera works its way right through. This shot has been recreated and recreated by God knows how many directors, Brian De Palma being one of them. There was a... There was a movie a couple of years ago called Assassination Nation, which woefully was underseen. Um, and I remember coming out of the movie just going like that. It's got everything in it, and it's a big soapy hand job directly to Brian De Palma and also to Dario Argento. And I remember speaking about this on a podcast around the time and getting a bit of kickback from, from some of my fellow podcasters saying, I don't get the Argento at all. I'm like, there's a tracking shot in the house where intruders are breaking in and I swear to God, all that was missing was the Tenebrae soundtrack. It is set up, it's executed in exactly the same way that I know that the director, for a fact, has seen Tenebrae. And the argument back was, well, it could have just, well, there was already De Palma influences that could have just been De Palma and a shot similar to that in something like A Dress to Kill or whatnot. And De Palma, even though he claims, claims he never saw these Argento movies or wasn't aware of these Argento movies or wasn't influenced by these Argento movies, he clearly was. Um, Hitchcock has some pretty cool camera work, but the work that De Palma emulates post-Argento's rise to popularity and fame is quite interesting. Let's just say a bit of crossover and we'll leave it at that. Uh, Tenebrae is a surprisingly violent movie, um, even by Argento standards. Deep Red being maybe... Deep Red's the one where... And let's take a step back even further. Let's get geeky. You ready to get geeky? Um, when you look at Argento's Jallo, right? Or Jally. Uh, Bird with a Clustral Plumage is the one that, like I said before, kind of sets the, the, the tone and template for what Jallo would be for essentially forever after that point uh, and refines and focuses a lot of the stuff that people like Bava, Lindsay, 
um, and even Fulci to an extent had already done in the 60s and kind of coordinates it into this singular vision and that goes forth. He kind of repeats that template again in Cat of Nine Tales, even though that movie is not the same. It's a bit softer in some respects, but also the deaths are a bit gnarlier. And by the time you get to Four Flies and, uh, and Grave Velvet, that movie itself, once again, is opting for relatively violent deaths, but they still feel like murder mysteries and not horror movies. When he comes back to do Deep Red in 75, that's the shift for me. That's where we're like, all right, this guy makes horror movies now. Deep Red is, it has all the all the setup and execution of a Jallo, but all the mean-spiritedness of an American slasher. And then that carries through into Tenebrae, which I could see why it was so popular at the time. This is 82, which by this point is not quite the, the the decline of the slasher but we're maybe about one or two years from that and it comes out from a foreign director that people know for something else and here he's making a movie which actually sits very comfortably amongst the American slashers of the time whilst at the same time being inherently a giallo movie so it is surprisingly violent the deaths are kind of awesome even the flashback scenes themselves and this one where we are capturing the trauma of the killer have uh they don't have the same degree of innocence that you get in deep red so deep red we we see something happening that you know obviously the kid sees something happening and he snaps and kills his 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 parents and this movie it's more that we establish quickly through those flashbacks that Peter Neal has always been someone mentally unstable. In fact, the American title for this movie is Unseen, which I think is insane. Um, so th it's written in there. They even talk about it in the movie, uh, you know, like when they're describing, uh, the cops describing the motivation at the end, and he's basically saying that, you know, one of his close female friends died, he was suspected, but nothing was ever done about it. If he was the killer, this has been with him forever. Um, and I love that idea of, it's not a case of the evil was brought upon him by traumatic um, incidents, rather this was something in him that just switched on like a light switch one day. Um, I kind of love that idea and concept. Uh, this is like Argento at his most flexy boss mode in Jallos. He does do Jallos after this, but none of them have the flair panache or like full boss level that Tenebrae have. It's probably his most ostentatious and at the same most focused Jallo and that it tries, like I said before, to make sense by the time you get to the end, tries to tie up a lot of the, the stuff that's in there, but at the same time, it, it, it's kind of focused on those those kills, those horror elements. It also is one of the, one of the few giallos that Argento makes where across the board the acting is of a really high quality, uh, notwithstanding some of the, the minor deaths in this one are the fucking homeless rapist at the beginning which is in there for no reason at all it's not even that Argento's using him as a red herring like we, we quickly discount him almost immediately so you know most of the parts most of the main roles in this movie are acted really really well and the performance is really strong Argento is kind of 
painted with a brush that says, as a director, he's more interested in the shots than he is about the performances. And other directors such as Bava and Hitchcock were kind of painted with that brush as well and that they were more interested in the creation of the movie and bringing their vision to the screen as they were necessarily about meddling with actors and actresses. Um, they just, you know, that just wasn't their bag. It wasn't where they shone. So I love that aspect as well. Um, it's a tight hour and 45, which might have some people saying that doesn't sound very tight. This movie is. There isn't really that much... Uh, loose skin at all in any of it. It hangs together incredibly well and delivers exactly what you want. Bitchin' score, amazing camera work, maybe not full-on bizarre lighting, but the lighting choice and direction of it is, is incredible. Really good performances, wonderful practical death scenes. Um, one of my favourite shots of all time in horror cinema is in this movie when the one of the, the lesbian women is... You know, she is trying to put on a kind of loose-fitting t-shirt and the killer slashes at the t-shirt enough so we could see the shocked expression on her face before her throat slit. Chef's kiss. C'est magnifique. Um, it's absolutely awesome. So yeah, Tenebrae is my favourite Argento movie. So that's why it's on the list. Argento may make a return higher on this list with a movie that isn't my favourite Argento movie, which makes well, it may make you wonder why it's there, but I think the key word is, isn't my favourite Argento movie, but is higher on my favourite horror movies. We're going to have some explaining to do when we get to that title, and if you haven't worked out what it is yet, you've probably worked out what it is yet. So yeah, this has been a review of Tenebrae number 7 on my countdown of my top 10 favourite horror movies accurate up until the 31st of August. Thanks very much for checking out this episode of the podcast under the stairs. If you're checking us out on video on the YouTubes, please hit the subscribe button. Uh, we've had a ton of people subscribe since I started doing these a couple of days ago and I, for one, am loving it. I'm also loving the comments, plenty of interaction there. Uh, let me know what you think of Tenebrae. I, I, I genuinely am curious. I love this movie. Uh, with the, the passion and fire of a thousand fiery suns uh, but I'm always interested to hear what you guys think of it um, so if you're checking us out on YouTube please hit subscribe show me some love if you're checking us out on Spotify you can either see us on video or via the audio there's a little question in there that asks you pretty much the same thing please answer that and interact with me there um, and if you're listening to us any of the podcasting devices in audio format also make sure you're subscribed we've got over 1200 episodes in the back catalogue of podcasts in these days we're racing towards our 10th anniversary um, on the 31st of August this podcast is exactly 10 years since we dropped our very first episode so please hit subscribe there and you ain't missing a thing and all that's left for me to say is thank you very much for checking out this episode. Wherever you are, whatever the time zone is, and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs, and I am signing off. <laughs>